many were just mysteriously drawn to this solitary figure that was around them. He preached to them, he fed them both spiritually and physically, and he healed them of diseases, and some of them had had these diseases their entire life. And he also cast out demons. So crowds started following him everywhere that he went. And about midpoint of his ministry, he realized that he needed some help with preaching the gospel. And this is particularly true because he knew that his time was coming when he would no longer be on earth. And he wanted some men that could teach the kingdom of God and continue the work that he had started. Now, I want you to use your imagination for a few minutes, and you can even close your eyes if you want to. But go back with me in time to over 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on earth. Now, I want you to imagine that you are a citizen of one of the towns near the Sea of Galilee. You're sitting in your favorite coffee shop enjoying a cappuccino, and one of your friends rushes in and, he, and, and says to him, he has a copy of the Galilean Times newspaper, and he says, did you see that crazy won't ad in the newspaper? And he hands him the newspaper as he multitasks and orders himself a latte while checking his cell phone. <laughs> so he starts, um, you start reading the ad. So if you'll put that up on the screen for me so people can uh, read it with me. And I'm gonna read it out of the newspaper. Um, can you put that up? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I'm looking there and I'm not looking back here. Okay, you may not be able to read that, but I'll read it. And um, you're, you're sitting there in this coffee shop and you start reading it. Help wanted 12 good men to work for the kingdom of God. No previous experience needed. Training will be provided. Must be willing to travel extensively. Must bring only a staff with you. You will be paid nothing. Food and shelter will be provided through the generosity of strangers. Must be willing to face persecution and be hated by everyone. Interested men should contact Jesus at the Joseph Carpenter shop in Nazareth. Now, if that really was an ad in the newspaper, I have a feeling um, there wouldn't be anybody to apply for that. But we know it didn't happen that way. But even if there were newspapers in that day, Jesus would have never sought his followers in that way. He went out and personally extended an invitation to those he wanted to follow him and, and carry the title disciple. And the responses by the ones whom he called 
were as astonishing probably as this help wanted ad was. And we don't really know from the scriptures what transpired during his invitation to any of the 12. But the scripture that we read this morning says that Simon and Simon Peter and Andrew left at once. And then later, James and John immediately left and followed him. So we don't know anything about the conversation that Jesus had or why they so quickly um, accepted his invitation to follow someone that they barely knew anything about, but they did. Well, could it be that they were bored with their chosen profession of fishing day in and day out? Or maybe the thought of traveling sounded thrilling to them. But you know, I think it had to do with the mesmerizing words of Jesus and his magnetic personality that he had um, that probably made them want to know more about him. So Jesus went on to offer this same invitation to eight more, and they all accepted his invitation. There were, the theologians believe there was probably five more fishermen. Uh, we don't quite know what their occupation was, but it's thought that they were fishermen as well because they lived in the vicinity um, of where the first four did, and that was in a small fishing village. Now, he called some others, which was kind of an odd selection uh, compared to the fact that, you know, he'd already selected nine fishermen. But he called a tax collector and an accountant and a member of, of the zealots. That's quite a mixed bag of marbles, I would think. And I don't use the word marbles lightly in this case. But they were 12 very ordinary, uneducated, and simple men of the Jewish faith. Now, they didn't have a Dadeville High School or an Auburn University where they could get an education. They were definitely not part of the upper class of the priest and the teachers of the law back then, and they were really considered lower class commoners, nobodies to all the elite in the surrounding towns. And they could aptly be called the 12 Stooges also, I would think. So Jesus had his work cut out for him, and he knew he had to do some very intensive training um, in the time that he had left on this earth. And, the, and these 12 were not easy learners, as Jesus soon found out. It took them a very long time to really know who Jesus was and what his relationship with God was. They were completely stumped by the parables and they asked stupid questions sometimes too. Jesus knew that they lacked five things that he really wanted them to learn during this short period of time that he had to teach them. They lacked spiritual understanding because they were slow to hear 
and slow to understand, and they lacked humility. They lacked faith, even though they had a front row seat to all the miracles of healing that Jesus did, they still didn't measure up as far as their faith. And they lacked commitment, which was evidenced by their fleeing when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. And they were very weak and helpless sometimes. And the Bible tells us that Jesus even got angry with them, very frustrated when he was trying to teach them. Mark 8, 17 says, Jesus chastises them. Um, well, Mark 8, 17 says, do you still not see and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And then in Mark 9, 12, he says to the disciples, how long shall I put up with you? Sounds like he's ready to get rid of them and find him 12 more. But he continues to train and to teach them. And he was finally able to make them have some understanding of what their training was all about. But it was really only after Jesus went to the cross ascended into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, and then those disciples were infused with a power that enabled them to do what Christ had trained them to do. And they traveled all over the ancient world. In fact, they turned it upside down. They established churches all over, and of course, uh, they were the ones that actually started the first church. As one writer put it, they accumulated a wealth of experience unparalleled in human history. So they were no longer sow's ears, they were silk purses because of what Jesus did in his training for them. So what does a disciple look like today? Well, a disciple looks just like you, looks like me, provided we have the characteristics that Jesus instilled in those 12 disciples. We must love him. We must put him first in our lives, not second, not third, but first. We must obey him, grow in faith, be unselfish with what we have, do good works for others, and share the good news of Jesus with others. You know, some Christians have a difficult time with that last one, sharing the good news, witnessing for Christ. It's real easy for us to invite people to church, but sometimes it's a little bit harder if we try to tell people what Jesus has personally done for us. Jesus gives us the same directive that he gave the 12 disciples in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and these verses are known as the Great Commission. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And another scripture, Luke 14:33 says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Ouch, that's pretty strong language, isn't it? But you know, Jesus did not mean that we had to sell our homes or become homeless and poor and take the next flight to Africa to become a missionary. No, he didn't mean that. But what he did mean is that we need to consciously recognize that everything that we have belongs to God and that we should give him first place in our lives. It means separating ourselves spiritually, not physically, from our desires, from our family, our jobs, our possessions, everything, if we want to become his disciples. And that means total commitment to follow God. And that word commitment is a tall order for some people. Just look at a young man who may be squirming as his girlfriend is pressing him to get married. He's afraid of commitment. And most of the time we find it easy to um, make a promise to our children or grandchildren, but making a promise to God is much harder for us to do sometimes. Singing in the choir, asking for God's forgiveness, being baptized and joining a church really does not mean commitment. Commitment is what you do after we've done all of these things. And let me say that again, because that's the important thing that I would like for you to get out of this message this morning. Commitment is what you do after you have done all of these things. It means being faithful in all aspects of your life. I really like what Mark Batterson says in his book, All In. He says, we want a money-back guarantee before we take a step of obedience, but that eliminates faith from the equation. Sometimes we need to take a flying leap of faith. We need to step into the conflict without knowing if we can resolve it. We need to share our faith without knowing how our friends will react to it. We need to pray for a miracle without knowing how God will answer. We need to put ourselves in a situation that activates a spiritual gift we've never exercised before. And we need to go after a dream that is destined to fall without divine intervention. And I want to put a plug in for this book. If you've never read All In, it will inspire you. So um, if you need some inspiration or if you just want to read a good Christian book, like I said, I highly recommend this book. I couldn't put it down whenever I started reading it.
has uniquely given each of us a gift to carry out his valuable function in our kingdom. Just think about what all the people in this church do. We have so many people that are, are using their talents to help others. Um, they're just numerous. Um, and compared to what some of the other churches do, it's amazing to me how much this church does because of committed people. And I've said this so many times before, I am so proud to be a member of Red Ridge Church. Do I get a, I got one amen back there, I think. Okay, good. Uh, we're all born to serve God and to serve others. But sometimes we don't take it quite that far whenever we join a church. We don't have to worry about being qualified to be used by God, because just remember how weak and helpless and inadequate those disciples were when Jesus first started teaching them. We need to surrender those inadequacies and fears to God and stay committed to him, and he can do amazing things through, through our lives, in and through our lives, just like Jesus did with those 12 very ordinary disciples. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. May we hear your call today to be your disciple. Help us to be obedient and to follow you in every thought, word, and deed. Help us to hold fast to your truth, your commands, and your desires for our lives. Challenge us, dear Father, to step out in faith and depend on you fully for all that we need. In your holy name we pray. Amen.